0: with Sherry. Today we welcome back author Leah Ning. She won uh, a a couple of awards. Uh, We're going to talk about that, writing, and all kinds of stuff. Here's Leah. Hi, Leah. Welcome back to the show. Hi, Sherry. It's good to chat with you again. How are you? How have you been?
1: I've been doing pretty good. Doing a whole bunch of writing. How have you been?
0: Okay. Um, same. Um... Still working on my two books. Uh, it's hard to get, you know, because I do the show and I do the Radio Playhouse and and stuff. So it's hard just to concentrate on my books when you're doing all that other stuff. Yeah, I get that. And aren't we always working on the book? <laughs> I know, I know. And this is this is the part that's really hard for me is editing, and that's what I'm working on. I uh, oh. Yeah. I am the worst person when it comes to that. It's not that I don't do it. I I'll work on it every single day. It's just um it, it's like you know, sort of like when you were doing homework the type of homework you weren't very good at. And you kind it's not that you weren't good and you didn't do it, it's more like you just kinda of tried everything you could to put it off before you started working on
1: it. <laughs> I get that. I have a hard time not looking at some scenes that I've edited and being like, "Oh, wait, hang on, that could be better. I could rewrite that, and it would be so much better." And I had to, I had to force myself to stop and send it out to alpha readers, otherwise, I was going to keep touching it.
0: <laughs> I actually am a terrible rewriter. It's more. It's not that I'm a terrible. That's the wrong way. I. Mean. I they they say uh, you know add this or explain that or extend this part or something like that? And instead of doing it, I just rewrite the whole thing.
1: Yeah, I get that, because it's like, well, but if I extend this part, then it, like, breaks up the whole flow of the scene, and, like,
0: you just kind of got to redo it sometimes. Yeah, but I keep doing it. <laughs> well, don't do that. <laughs> I've rewritten about 12 paragraphs. Oh, gosh. I know. At the... It's really bad. I can't help it. it can't okay, help I can't to. Okay, I can't judge
1: you. I've been there.
0: <laughs> but um but I I actually um I have a s- short story idea. I I I don't know whether it's going to get published or what I'm going to do with it, but it's it's actually based on something I went through with my mom. Um I don't know if you've ever been out with, uh, if, if your mother is an older woman, but my mother, you know, toward the end of her life, when she was in her 80s, was extremely intelligent, sharp, she was still with it, she knew exactly what was going on, but you take someone like that out to a restaurant, and the waiter or waitress will ask you what she wants. Oh, yeah. I... I found that, and my mother was so upset by it, and I found it so annoying. I'm like, you know, she's right there, and she's perfectly capable of speaking. Why don't you ask her directly? uh mm-hmm. And they're saying, oh, okay. Like, you know, they didn't even realize they insulted a person. That's so strange. And it it, it 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 wasn't a single experience. It happened quite often. Uh-huh. Well, it actually happened to both of us once. I thought it was funny. This was more funny. Uh, my mom and me and my brother were out. Uh, I think it was for my mom's birthday, and it was obvious the waitress had a crush on my brother. Um, uh-huh. So everything was to him of course we're, we were both ign- we we're, were the invisible women we were completely ignored <laughs> but it was because it wasn't because we were older or anything and they, she didn't think we were capable it was more like oh he's so cute <laughs> that kind of thing. <laughs> so what
1: was the short story idea with your mom
0: it's based on that it's, it's based on how Uh, when women become older, they kind of become invisible. Mm. I like that idea. Because it's so true. If you think about it, think about Hollywood. I mean, think about all these great actresses that you've seen that were in their 40s. And they were great. And they were still beautiful. And unless Mm -hmm. they're a big star uh, in some way, by the time maybe... Five or six years later, they disappear. Right, yeah. Ma- maybe to the theater because they don't want to deal with it anymore, or maybe they want to be a parent, a full-time parent, so they retire or something like that. But it's like most of them do it because they can't deal with the prejudice. But the interesting thing is is that I'm meeting men that are older, that are going through the same thing, but in a different way, there's Mm -hmm. a prejudice against age, there's an ageism. Um, And this is um, authors um, and uh, uh, screenwriters and directors and, you know, actors too, but actors seem to be able to get around it. But even actors don't get Kind of parts they want to get because they're older. Right, yeah. So it's this ageism is not just against women, it's against men too. It's just different for the men than for the women. The women's purely based not on talent, because the talent is obviously there, but on the looks. They're not a babe anymore. Right, and, of course,
1: people are all about wanting to get fresh blood in and whatnot when, you know, I mean, yeah, it's go- It's always good to have somebody new come in, new perspective, new ideas and whatnot, but that doesn't mean that, you know, anybody's got to get pushed out for it.
0: Exactly. That's the thing. I mean, um, I read this article about writers and ageism, and one of the, I think he, yeah, he was a writer on, um, really fabulous TV series called MASH Um, he was one of the one of the major writers for that series and he couldn't get arrested I mean it was that bad he could not get a job wow Um, so he you know back when there was the American uh, uh, Un-American Activities Committee or whatever the hell those stupid people in the blacklist was um, people had fronts Um, that weren't communists to get their stuff uh, uh, produced. Well, people today have fronts in order to get their stuff produced because they're older. Gotcha.
1: Yeah. I mean, I,
0: I, I definitely know
1: a whole bunch of writers that worry sometimes that like it's too late to start their career because they're old or because agents aren't going to want to sign them because you know they're old enough that like well you know how many years can we get out of you and it's like well that's not true I mean I also know plenty of writers who have started their careers in their 50s 60s 70s gosh and I mean they still had great careers so I mean I don't it's, understand what the thing
0: is. It's it has the thing is writing is talent. It has nothing to exactly. do with how old you are. As long as you keep up with you know you read and you watch TV and you know what's going on in the world, then there should be no reason why you can't write as long as you have talent. That's exactly. what it should be based and on. That's the really nice thing
1: about people who do anonymous submissions I mean writers of the future does anonymous submissions I know a bunch of magazines that do anonymous submissions and that's the thing I really like about those is it levels the playing field pretty good and nobody's worried about how old you are nobody's worried about your gender nobody's worried about anything like that they're just looking at your writing for what it is yeah and it's got to it's got to get there on merit at that point and that's the most important thing
0: is it a good piece of writing And it's really so weird. These are talented people, both the actors Mm -hmm. I was talking about earlier and the writers I'm talking about. All of them are extraordinarily, and the directors, they're all extraordinarily talented. Why Mm -hmm. do you have to, why are you worried about how old they are? Right, exactly. I mean, John Ford worked until he dropped dead. (sighs) You know, I mean, just, uh, David Lean was, uh, kept working until he was an old man. Uh, King the yeah. started in the silent movies and ended in the 70s, you know, I mean, these people, you know, they didn't care back then, you know, if, if you were a director, uh, screenwriters, you know, they, they went until they were dead. Um. You just can't shoot. How old is Clint Eastwood? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And of course, it's male, you know, because women right. see unless a woman is willing, and some are at a young age to take granny roles, it's really strange right. because you know, like Shirley MacLaine started taking granny uh, roles when she was in her early fifties. It sort of was sort of ridiculous because she looked like she was in her forties. <laughs> Oh jeez. And she was taking granny rolls to keep working. And she looked gorgeous.
1: Yeah, that's crazy. I mean, you shouldn't have to do that. I mean, but that's how women we, who are over 40 are not only grandmothers, you know.
0: <laughs> it's 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 40s uh, the cutoff. So if you're in your 40s, your choice is no jobs, work on stage or um do the granny rolls. That's your choice.
1: That's so strange.
0: I mean, uh, there was an episode of a TV series called Sybil where Sybil Shepherd made fun of it. She was working with another, I think it was, what's her name, Donna? She's in Knott's Landing. Anyway, she was working with another actress who was working her age, and she was being, and they're the same age, and she was working as an old lady. <laughs> oh my gosh! It was a, it, she was kind of annoyed by it, but um, but she was it, she ended up doing a series of old lady roles, and it's just it, it was funny because it was Sybil who's gorgeous still is gorgeous, um, you know, but it isn't funny because you shouldn't have to do that because you hit a certain age.
1: Right, and I mean, there's also plenty of actual older women who are actually grandmother age who could play those roles just as capably, I'm sure yeah,
0: yeah, and its just it, there's there's all these things and there's all these stigmas i mean it, like um Rita Marino was talking about her career in a documentary I was watching, and she said the biggest joy she had. And doing singing in the rain was because she wasn't playing a Latin she was playing um huh. just uh just the a, a woman you know didn't it didn't even mention right. what her she was she played a bitchy character <laughs> uh, she was the one who uh told on debbie reynolds uh that uh to the i don't know if you ever saw singing in the rain but um, Debbie Reynolds was pretending to be the voice of another actress whose voice was really funny, and was uh, Singing in Rain was about the silence going into the talkies. And so she was singing and talking for this other actress, and Rita Moreno was jealous because her her part in the movie was so good, it, it overwhelmed her, and so she went to tell the other actress Whose character's name is Lena, that this girl was doing it? I mean she wasn't playing the nicest character, but she was excited because it wasn't well it wasn't just it wasn't just the Latin it was she played a lot of South Seas characters, and she said she used the same accent this is what she she said, I use the same accent for every character I played, and nobody said anything." So I'm supposed to be a Hawaiian girl, I'm supposed to be in Tunisia, I'm supposed to be in all these things. And I'm using the same Spanish accent for every single character, and nobody says anything.
1: Oh, jeez, and those are like wildly disparate.
0: I know, I know, it's so funny. But she, that's what, and she says, and it took an actor to cast me in that role. It wasn't the casting director, it was Gene Kelly who cast me. As that part, it, uh, he was the only one who would have done that because casting directors would. Uh, I would. She goes. I thought, oh great, I'm playing this character, and it's this It's not a, 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 a character that is just about different culture. It's a it's a, a, a regular character who's not any culture. And she goes. Yeah, she's so excited, and she goes. And the next thing I know, I'm back in the South Seas. Ah. That's so disappointing, because, I mean, that's, it's like, you know, she's
1: finally got to place a character that's not a stereotype, like, just a normal human being. Exactly. That's it. I mean, that's, everybody's a normal human being, and, you know, you stick somebody in a role for a stereotype, and that's, that sucks.
0: Yeah, and, and she was talking about, and she's, it's, it's really interesting, it was, uh, I'm an addict of uh, Turner Classic movies, it, they, they had, um. They they pick movie stars, and she was um, uh, West Side Story was coming out, and she was in both the West Side Story the movie back in the sixties with Natalie Wood, and now she's in the new one that Steven Spielberg is producing and directing, as oh, wow. like she's playing grandma in it. And, of course. Well, I mean, <laughs> the lady's in her eighties now; she should be playing a grandma. Okay, fair. <laughs> <laughs> but but um so it was like a big special thing and so they gave a documentary about her. And the documentary was made at the beginning when she was first doing this part and stuff. And she was talking about how hard it was and about her about her marriages. It was a whole documentary. It's really interesting. She led a very interesting life. But that's the part that stuck in my mind. I use the same accent with five different cultures. <laughs> <laughs> that's terrible. And nobody said anything. Because it's so big of yeah, it, they, and they know. didn't know, they didn't care.
1: Exactly. That's the problem with making a total stereotype part, is that you don't actually care about the human being that's there, you just care about the stereotype, and if
0: it matches close enough to your box, I guess that works. I know. It's just really sad. I mean, she broke through it finally, but right. but it's just why should you? It's just like I I always thought that I love Ava Gardner, so don't get me wrong, but I always thought that um, uh, Lena Lena Horne should have played the main character in Showboat because she 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 was black, she had the looks. She was one of the most beautiful women ever in movies, and she had that incredible voice. Um, mm-hmm. And she had sung it the so- uh, some of the songs in other MGM movies. Um, and Ava said it should be her part when they want they came to her and said that they wanted her to play it. Um, in fact, Lena mm-hmm. and Ava were best friends. Um, but but they gave it to Ava. It was and it was a black character. It doesn't make sense. Not at all. I mean, that that and I um my mom said she used to one of the things she used to do which I thought was cute. Movie stars she liked, she used to copy their hair. Oh, that's cute. So, in one of the MGM things, she had these flowers in her hair, and my mom said, it took me
2: days.
0: (laughs) I thought it was adorable.
1: That is very cute. I'm trying to imagine figuring out how to get all those
0: flowers in my own hair, and it's not working. (laughs) Well it's just like um Esther Williams was a great swimming star and they built pools uh-huh. for her at MGM. But she would come out with her hair perfect. It turned out that she put uh-huh. Vaseline in her hair to make it perfect. Oh my gosh. Which is a horrible thing to do. My mother found that out. Oh no. Yeah. She did it. She's going Oh, that just sounds so
1: uncomfortable. <laughs>
0: She was going to a swimming thing, a uh, party, and she put her hair up. She put vaseline on her hair. That part was okay, but she couldn't get it out. Yep. When she got Like home. how long
1: must that take?
0: My mom had to take, my mom's mom, my grandma, had to take her to a beauty parlor. Sounds about right. But, yeah, it's kind of funny. That is pretty funny. Yeah, she used to do that a lot. She did that with Ginger Rogers, all kinds of different actors, actresses, that she liked their hair. That's wicked cute. I love that she did that. Yeah, it it wasn't just those three. It was lots of them. (laughs) I think Ann Miller, too. Wow.
1: Her mom was prolific in the hair department, I take it. She just liked to play.
0: (laughs) She was a teenager. Um, The other thing she said that was really, really funny. My mom was really brave. When she was about Mm -hmm. 20, and this is in the uh, 40s, she took a train from Rhode Island to L.A., And she was going to stay in L.A. And she almost did. But I wouldn't be here if she did, so I'm glad she didn't. Um, That's good. (laughs) But she was going to um, get a a secretary job and then, you know, see what happens. And um, so on a train going from Rhode Island to L.A., part of it was the super chief. And a lot of movie stars would take the super chief to L.A. And so somehow these, some of these women thought she was Ann Miller, even though she never – you know, my mom was very pretty when she – well, she was always pretty, but she was really pretty when she was young. And so this woman kept pestering her for her autograph, saying, I know you're incognito, okay. I know you're incognito, but could you please sign this? And finally she said, okay. And she signed it, and I said, "What did you sign?" <laughs> and I just it said, "My best, Dan Miller."
2: Oh, jeez.
0: <laughs> that she is goes, so funny because
2: she
1: wouldn't leave me alone. Oh gosh, I had somebody was telling me this story. It might have been Carrie English. She um. She was walking around somewhere and she saw this guy who was dressed all in black and he had the big black hair and she like got wicked excited and walked up to him and whoever he was walking with and, you know, held out her book and was like, Oh my gosh, would you sign my book thinking it's Neil Gaiman? And it turns out it's Howard Stern. <laughs> ah! what a difference. Oh my gosh. But it's like the author brand thing. Like, you wear a certain type of clothes, you get a certain look, and people are just kind of looking for you like that.
0: Oh, my God. How funny is that? (laughs) Yeah, but my mom thought it was hilarious. I go, so someone somewhere has an autograph of Anne Miller, but it's actually you. And she goes, "Uh uh-huh.
1: Yep, and they're never going to figure it out. Or they have, and they're wildly embarrassed. You never know.
0: I mean, she said it was just on a piece of paper, you know, it wasn't like on a picture or <laughs> but it just, she thought it was, she said, uh, she followed me up and down the train for like a whole day, and I just couldn't stand it anymore, I said, okay, fine. Oh my gosh, the whole day. <laughs> yeah. It was a three, it's a three-day trip from, you know, back east to um, California on the train. So uh-huh. the first day, this woman wouldn't leave her alone.
1: That is so strange. I mean, even if she was Ann Miller, like why? Would why
0: would you, you bother her? Yeah, like that. Yeah, right? exactly. I, I mean, mean, it
1: goes back to what we were saying. Like famous people, they're just people. They, if they're if they're incognito, they want to be left alone for a reason.
0: Yeah. <laughs> she goes. I can tell you're incognito, but please let me have an autograph. That's I'm not. She kept uh, telling her that she's not Ann Miller. She said, "I." She said, "My mom said I said it like twenty times. I'm not Ann Miller. I'm not Ann Miller." She goes one time. She said, "I'm too young to be Ann Miller." <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh! I mean, and it's like
1: I mean, I mean you just you gotta my, treat people like people. Like I mean, when I went to um. When I went to the Writers of the Future Gala, I'm, like, walking around and there's all these judges there, right? Mm-hmm. And they're all just extremely prolific writers, extremely accomplished people. And, like, I'm walking around and there's Kevin J. Anderson, there's Todd McCaffrey, there's, like, Joni Lynn Nye. And I'm just, like, freaking out. But you just got to treat them like people. I mean, if you sit down with, you know, Eric Flint and you tell him, like, oh, my gosh – you are so scary. Like I'm like, you don't tell people that you're like afraid of them or like, Oh my gosh, you're so famous. This is crazy. And it's like, I mean, yeah, I wanted to get some people to sign books for me, but you wait until the appropriate time. And if they say no, they say no. Mm-hmm. And you treat them like people and you just sit down and you have a conversation with them. And I mean, luckily all of these, all of these judges are super, super nice people. I mean, like I was, I don't want to say I was shocked, because I wasn't. But it was still like a bit of a, oh, you're you're talking to me. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> I know. But, I, ha- I mean, th- at the end of the day, there's still people. They just want to sit down and chat with you.
0: I had such admiration for Richard Matheson, who was a great science fiction fantasy writer. Um, he wrote Somewhere in Time. He wrote a lot of the Twilight Zone uh, TV show. He he was Uh just really talented, talented man. Anyway, he was at we had a local science fiction bookstore, and he was signing, and he was signing for a book I wasn't that interested in, but I bought brought got that bought that book and then I brought somewhere in time, which I uh, was Uh loved. It was like it's still one of my favorite books. So I said, I know you're supposed to only sign one, but could you sign this one? It's my favorite. And he said, sure. And he and he he said, oh, and you got a picture of Jane Seymour and Christopher, um, Christopher, oh, my God, Reese, on the cover. She, he goes, that's nice. And, <laughs> and I go, yeah, I actually really, and I told him, I actually really like the original title, Bid, Time Return. I don't understand why they don't think Americans can understand that. He goes, yeah, I know, neither do I. <laughs> he goes I'm an American and I wrote it <laughs> <laughs> yeah so you would think and yet here we are but, I, um, but anyway we had a really good conversation and, <laughs> and he signed both my books that's really nice though but you know and, and there was a lot of people and, and, and we didn't you know he pretty much talk to every person for as long as he could.
2: That's really
1: sweet. And, like, I can imagine that as an author. Like, I wouldn't wouldn't want to leave people out, like, if there were a bunch of people because, you know, they're human beings, too. They're fans of the work, right? But, I mean, gosh, I can't imagine how overwhelming it must get if there's, like, tons and tons of people that are all wanting to talk to you and get a moment of your time and Your autograph, you
0: know. Have you ever been to Comic-Con?
1: I haven't.
0: Oh, I feel so sorry for those actors. Because... um, They get
1: totally crowded, huh?
0: It's just... I've been to conventions. I've been to, like, Xena conventions and Star Trek conventions, so... I know what they're like. But Mm Comic-Con is a different experience. Instead of a few, um, you know, a few dozen, maybe, uh, maybe a couple hundred uh, people asking for autographs. There were thousands. Oof! I know. That's a- just overwhelming. It's, that's exactly what I was going to say. I, I, I was watching. I was like, I couldn't afford it. You yeah, it's go. just. You have to pay extra and all that. And the other thing... that They have a a section where you just autograph, which I actually like. That's just an autograph Uh section. You're not waiting outside one of the halls or something. Um, I like that. Um, Uh But I'm trying to remember who it was. It was somebody from... um, I forgot the name of it. Very popular TV show, something gods. American Gods? No. It's it's science fiction. Oh, my God. Oh. I can't think of the name of it. It's It was, like, super popular. I mean, it's all anybody talked about for a few years. Um, it just ended, like, last year or something. Anyway, um one of the actors from it, very nice guy, because I was there autographing my book, so I was right across from him. And at first, nobody noticed him because he was in a side area. And Uh-oh. so we were talking. It was I had an astronaut on one side, and across from me, I had him. Um, it was really nice. Uh, anyway, <laughs> I had a good time. Um, so uh, for about a half hour, nobody was coming, and I said, um, "Should you know, some one of your people? Because he had publicity people there. I said, should one of your people?' Shh, let them figure it out themselves. Um, <laughs> Smart man. And then, like, um, towards it was, I was only there for an hour. That that was my time. Um, so I said oh. bye to both of them. And as I stood up, my brother came running. Sherry, Lee Weather's around the corner. you got to come before her time is up. <laughs> so, so I went, bye. <laughs> I'm dragged away by my brother. But when we finished getting our autograph and picture with Lee, we came back. Um, he, that poor guy had hundreds of people waiting. Oh, hundreds. I mean, they Roush. went around Circle uh one of those you know those gates like at like Disneyland, uh-huh, that's what he had there, wow, and I looked that is at, super rough, and I looked at him and I went I gave him one of those like sad little looks, and he gave me a little tiny shrug, and I waved, and he waved back, and that was the end, but it was like aww. <laughs> oh. it was like I got caught. <laughs> You know but um yeah i really felt sorry for people that were like and then the really big movie stars like the late christopher Plummer and people like that they were inside the um actual dealer's room but they had um a set special section set up and people were around and around and around in that and i was like as much as I wanted to get his autograph and I wanted to get Buzz Aldrin, the astronaut's autograph, I wasn't going to do that. I, I just...
2: Yeah.
0: It's too much.
1: It's so overwhelming. That's
0: so many people. I mean, what are you supposed to do? While you're waiting hours. Uh-huh. Just no. Uh-uh. Uh-uh. Nope. <laughs> There are
1: very few people in this world I would wait hours for an autograph for.
0: I really wanted Buzz Aldrin. The second time I had an opportunity, it was a regular science fiction convention, I got sick. Oh no. And that it's was terrible. That was both Buzz Aldrin and Neil um Neil Armstrong. And I was no! dying. I had already set it up. I had it was going, I had tickets and everything. And I had the flu. That's awful! Oh no! Mad. You know that's a lost opportunity. I'll never get back again to see two of my heroes. Gosh, that's
1: just
0: terrible. And that was both of them together. Could you imagine? Just hearing them talk. Hearing them talk together on a podium would have been amazing. But then I was I had an autograph ticket, but to get to talk to both of them in person, people who went to the moon. Seriously. I mean, how many opportunities do you get for that? Yep. I missed twice with Buzz and once for Neil. Somebody oh, man. up there didn't want me to get it. I guess so. <laughs> but um, yeah. That was that. Oh, it broke my little heart. I'm sorry. That's terrible. But but that's the kind of, you know, I would be willing to get good for those guys. But even for Buzz Aldrin, I wasn't wa- willing to wait five or six hours to get an autograph.
1: Yeah, five or six hours, I don't know, man. <laughs> I might do it for, like, Stephen King.
0: <laughs> mm. I wouldn't even do it for Stephen King.
2: <laughs>
0: I wouldn't do it even for my favorite author. Besides there, their own besides there's other opportunities to get Stephen King. Relatively young man.
1: Yeah, I gotta find an opportunity for him because I haven't seen a whole lot of like places where you can actually go say hi to him. I'm like I gotta I gotta meet the dude. I mean he was Seriously formative for me as both a reader and a writer. I've got like two shelves worth of the guy's books downstairs, and I've never met him. And I'm like, I got to someday, but I just I don't see him going around to a whole lot of conventions.
0: Maybe he would try writers' conferences.
1: Yeah, I he usually has something on his website about like if he's going to make live appearances and I just don't see a whole lot of them I mean especially nowadays because of COVID but he just doesn't seem to be making as many appearances anymore which is unfortunate
0: I can kind of understand it though
1: yeah I get that I mean he's he's getting older and also he's just such a big author He'd he'd be one of those people I feel like would have one of those gigantic,
0: crazy lines. I know. I know. But I still feel bad. I miss Buzz Aldrin.
2: Oh, That's so
0: rough. Uh, I mean, man went to the moon. seriously, right? (laughs) I mean, really, there's only a handful of people who went to the moon, and there's only very, very few of those because Neil and Buzz are both gone. There's very, very few. I think there's like one or two of them that are still around of the ones who went to the moon.
2: Yeah.
0: And that was like Apollo 14, I think. Those are the only two guys that are still around. Yeah, that's crazy. You know? That's a formidable thing. I mean, I am a space nut. I am watching everything about it. I do watch all the shows about astronomy. Um, Mm -hmm. But, so, as much as I like writers and movie stars, astronauts are a totally different ballpark to me.
1: I mean, they're cool people. They've been up to space, man. How many people can say that?
0: Yeah, I mean, there's still guys that um, did the space shuttle and stuff like that, and worked on the Hubble, which is the coolest thing ever, and the Hubble, which opened up pretty much everything for us. Um, and so, there's still some people like that could, and that are around that I can talk that are still young. Um I don't mean young like they're kids, I mean, that are not old and wouldn't want to be exposed to a lot of people, you know. <laughs> That's what I mean. Yeah. Yeah, I get you. Because they're, I think they're all in, like, their 40s and stuff like that, so. They're not. Okay. They're young. I can call them young. I'm older than them. <laughs> <laughs> um. So I wanted to talk about the writers of the future, and that you won! Yay! Well, thank you. <laughs> I just scared my cat. Oh no! When <laughs> we
1: were just talking about how cute her little tail was, you can't do that. <laughs> I know.
0: It's okay. She's she she it just took a second. And now she, her ears are back down, and she's licking herself again.
1: Okay. All right, all is well with the world.
0: <laughs> it's like, you know, She's washing herself. She's happy. Her eyes are in that, that happy zen, um, licking my cell phone. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Writers and cats, man. I swear. Yeah.
0: She's, it's a very interesting world we live in.
2: Yes,
0: um, it is. But anyway, I want to congratulate you. Don't worry, Pi. I won't do it again. Uh <laughs>
1: Well, thank you. I appreciate it.
0: So you finally made it to the workshop. Did you have fun?
1: I had so much fun. Oh my gosh. I mean, I don't think I slept a whole lot while I was there, but it was very worth it.
2: <laughs>
1: um, no, it was It was a very good time. Met a lot of really, really cool people while I was out there. Um, it was so nice to be able to meet some of the people from my volume finally and I got to meet some of the volume 37 people because they were doing a double workshop and gala thanks COVID um but it was really nice to finally be able to meet people and uh I'm supposed to be going to worldcon next week with one of the people from volume 36 Zach B um so it'll be nice to see people again um but yeah it was a very good time I learned a ton, a ton from the workshop. It was absolutely crazy. It was like having a fire hose of information directed at my face. Um, but it was very good. Um, got to hang out with David Farland and Tim Powers and bonded with Tim Powers over garlic bread at the local hamburger place, you know, as one does casual Tim Powers. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Uh, Um, and and it was a positive garlic bread experience or a negative garlic bread experience
1: it was a positive garlic bread experience he was wondering why I was having garlic bread for lunch and I was like what do you mean garlic bread is delicious and he's like all right yeah you got a good point (laughs) (laughs) but yeah no it was uh it was a good time it was um a lot of information a lot of lot of people meeting um but like i was mentioning before i mean the judges are just such sweet people i mean very very like they genuinely want to sit down and get to know you and chat with you and hang out at barcon and go out to lunch with you and I mean, all of the author services people were very, very sweet to me. And it was just such a good time. And everybody seemed so genuinely happy to finally be there, you know, because we got pushed back, I think, two or three times um, before we were finally able to do it in October.
0: Well, I think that's, uh, that's great. And uh, what did you think of the illustration? First, how was the reveal? Did you enjoy the shock of what you what you got? Or Were you pleased or what what happened?
1: So I was in volume 36, so I had my reveal online, um, which was really, really cool because, I mean, the book had to get published, right? So it was going to come out into the world, but they still made sure that we got to have the art reveal as much as we possibly could. And so they did this cool thing over Zoom where they had all of the art laid out in a grid and you got to kind of look around and see which one was yours. And I absolutely loved my illustration. It was so, so cool. And I got to talk to my illustrator really briefly on there. Um, so when we got there in person, finally, they did the art reveal for 36 and 37 at the same time in person. And, of course, all the 36 people had already seen our illustrations, but we hadn't gotten to meet our illustrators in person yet. And, um, I had thought that my illustrator wasn't going to make it because she's from Turkey. Um, but it turns out that she is going to college in the U S so she made it and I got to meet her in person and it was so, so cool to finally meet her and hang out with her and gush at her about how cool the illustration was, you know, (laughs) she's a sweetie.
0: That's great. That's cool. And you any you, and you it was beautiful, it was perfect for your book, I mean, your story.
1: It was totally perfect. I mean, I I remember telling her, so the, without spoiling the story too much, although I suppose it's been out for a couple years now, so it's not too big of a deal. But, I mean, the the whole story is essentially this character trying over and over again to do one thing, and she managed to fit all of the attempts that he made saving his wife into one picture and I was like I'm just so impressed that you managed to do this without crowding it it looks so good and she was like yeah that was the hard part
0: (laughs) (laughs) that's great um what is okay what is the gift for the people who don't know the full name of your book and your volume
1: the full name of the book is L. Ron Hubbard presents writers of the future and my volume is volume 36. And
0: the name of the story The name of my story is Yellow and Pink. Okay. And um I also want to know what's going on now. Do you have any stories and or books or articles or anything coming out?
1: Uh so yeah, I have a whole bunch of stuff that's come out since we last chatted. Um, I have a couple of stories out in Cosmas Infinities. One of them is called Static. Uh, that came out in issue three, and one of them is called Funeral Notes, which just came out a little over a week ago, actually. It's in the um, it's in the year one anthology that they did. Um, I had a story come out in PodCastle as well. Um, that was one that's, People seem to like it. Was really exciting because you get this whole um, podcast production that they do, and they did a really great job. They picked a great reader, um, and that one was a story about a uh, a man who's taking care of his wife who has um, Alzheimer's, and she also has the power to pull people into her memories. So as she declines, she starts to lose control over her ability to pull people into her memories so eventually her husband starts to kind of lose his sense of time and place with her so that story was it's a it's a tough one um I had a lot of people sending me messages after that one came out you know telling me about their stories and their experiences with Alzheimer's and dementia and like telling me how the story resonated with them and so that was a that was, that was a, that was not a fun story, but it was a good one. I really enjoyed it. And, um, I've got one also that should be coming out sometime early next year. They're supposed to do a Kickstarter for it. It's in a, uh, anthology called spirit machine, um, which I just thought had such a cool prompt. It was supposed to be, uh, you were supposed to do a story about spiritualism, like Ouija boards and whatnot. Um, but it had to be a hard science fiction story, which is such a weird, interesting combination. So I ended up writing a story for it called The Rising Wind of Your Name. And it's such a weird little story. It's in second person, which I've never sold a story in second person before. So that was a fun one. Um, and it's a short little thing. And uh, that one is about a um, a spirit who gets summoned and... I don't want to spoil too much of it because it's a short very short story but essentially the spirit gets summoned and they realize that they are um the summoning wasn't done quite right and they're starting to tear away but they're also supposed to be um helping this person who is in this machine with them to go save some people that they were meant to save so
0: that story was uh,
1: definitely one of the weirder ones that I've sold
0: but I really like that one a lot I like I like writing a weird one I've, I've written a few of those they're kind of fun they
1: are I mean it's always good to experiment with that kind of stuff you know I mean I'm not really a like Rabid second person writer or reader, really, but I mean, it was a fun story. If you don't experiment once in a while, like, what are you doing? You're a creative man, you know.
0: Exactly, exactly. And I, I do that with my radio plays too. I, I go. I, my, some of mine are very strange. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but um, I love to. I get inspired by all kinds of things. Um, what is When you're writing, uh, I mean, I know right now you're doing short stories and you're getting prompts and stuff like that, Um, but when you're writing your own stuff, what inspires you?
1: Oh, man. So usually what I end up doing for ideas and inspiration is – Like, I'll be running around, and I'll hear some, like, weird combination of words or something like that. And I've got this giant note in my phone, um, and I'll just write it down. And sometimes, like, I can smack a few of those together, and it turns into a story. So, like, um, at the Writers of the Future workshop, we had to do the 24-hour story, and they gave us each an object, which I'm sure if anybody is listening who knows Writers of the Future, you know what that means. They give you an object and you're supposed to interview your twin and you're supposed to make that into a story. And um, what I actually ended up doing was um, I used my object, which was a key and a lock that went to nothing as more of like a metaphorical overarching how the story is going to go. And um, so on the first day of the workshop. Uh, Tim Powers was talking, and he was saying, he was trying to say something about a swarm of wasps, um, but he accidentally said a swarm of rot, and my writer brain went, oh, that's a cool magic system. (laughs) (laughs) So my whole 24-hour story has this crazy magic system where uh, the main character can pull the rot out of the things around her, like rotten grass, rotten trees, rotting corpses in the woods, things like that. Um, and the whole 24-hour story came out of this, like, two-second little, like, mistake that Tim Powers made while he was talking about something wildly unrelated. Oh, that's cute. <laughs> but, That's usually how my stories end up coming about. Somebody says something funky and my writer brain goes, ooh, I can make a story out of that. Yeah. Like, uh, um, I was talking to a friend of mine who's in my writing group about uh, the guy who came to deliver her firewood, and she was like, "Man, I just hope it doesn't have termites." And I started, I started writing her this horrible flash fiction about the termite man <laughs> and how he has termites for teeth, and she's going to listen to this and she's going to hate me. You're welcome, Becky. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Yeah, oh, my God, that's so funny. Poor Becky. Uh, (laughs) Well, uh, we're coming to the end. I want to thank you for taking the time out of your day for coming and chatting.
1: Of course. I always enjoy chatting with you. This has been a great time, and thank you for having me on the show. Thank you. And uh, do you have a website? Yes, I do. It is com. spelled just like
0: my name. And do you have um, any social media? Like, are you on Facebook, Instagram, all that good stuff?
1: Yes, ma'am. I have a Twitter that I'm on relatively frequently, and the Twitter handle is Leah Ning, also spelled just like my name. I try to make it easy for people to find me.
0: (laughs) That's true. Okay. Um, I want to thank you so much. I, um, I really appreciate it.
1: Of course. Thank you too. This was really fun. Thank you.
0: And thank you for chatting with Sherry. <laughs>